Good morning, church family. I hope each of you are well this morning. What a privilege it is to be able to gather again digitally and to worship our Lord today. And we all know so many who are unable to do so in these days. So we count it a blessing. The last several weeks, we've been working through our summer sermon series entitled Vertical and Horizontal Love. And the Lord continues to teach us and to affirm to us how He loves us and how we are to love Him. And we continue on in that series today by considering obedient love. Every week further we go into 2020, it seems that this crazy year just can't get any crazier, and then something else happens. Uh, obviously, there's the baseline disruption to life that a global pandemic brings. News and social media is filled with all of the stories that surround that issue. Social distancing, our numbers, mask versus no mask, economic tolls, threats of reimposed lockdown, and the list goes on. But then you add on to that the political unrest among across much of the West and beyond. We've seen social unrest in America, weather phenomenon affecting people across the globe. And then this week, we saw a massive, devastating explosion occur in Beirut that almost, that absolutely demolished their port and a section of their city. And all of that is pertinent to where we are today because it provides a backdrop of sorts to all that we're going to be talking about this morning. It's in the midst of difficulty and hardship where obedience is tested. And we all know from personal experience that obedience can be a hard thing when circumstances are difficult. And yet, that's exactly what Christ calls us to today. Let's read that for ourselves this morning. Turn with me in your Bible or on your device to John 14. We'll read verses 15 to 26 together. And this morning, as always, uh, the translation we're reading from is the Christian Standard Bible. Read along with me, starting in verse, uh, 20, uh, starting in verse 15 of John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, everything we're going to be thinking through as we consider this passage, it goes back to one central point. And I share this from the beginning today so that you can continue to process through the ramifications of the reality of this central truth. Our main central point today is this. 
we choose to love God or something or someone else. And we demonstrate this through our actions. We choose to love God or we choose to love something or someone else. We demonstrate this through our actions. Look at verse 15 with me and let's read along. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Though there is grace in Christ as we live out this journey of the Christian faith, the expectation for the follower of Jesus is that this is all or nothing. Jesus says very simply and plainly, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And to make sure that there's no confusion surrounding that simple statement, Jesus reiterates this truth two other times in our passage. Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then down in 23, he says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. At the beginning of this past week, I found myself staring out my kitchen window, uh, watching the rain with my coffee in hand. And as I watched, I saw the rain, but I was really doing what Mark preached on last week. I was meditating on our passage. And as I pondered these statements, something hit me like a ton of bricks. Obeying the commands of Jesus equals loving Jesus. Disobeying the commands of Jesus equals loving myself or someone or something else. Consider this. Just like in any exclusive relationship, fidelity and faithfulness to that relationship is the expectation. It should be the norm, not the exception. Total faithfulness is the expectation. And that's the way it is in our relationship with Christ. Follower Jesus, the one you follow, expects that you and I will be solely faithful to him. He expects that our love will be directed to him, not to another recipient or, or an object. And if that wasn't hard enough truth, as I continued to ponder this, as I stared out at the rain, it hit me that these are total sums that we're talking about today. When you and I sin, when we rebel against God and we disobey the commands that we see in Scripture, we're saying, I love blank instead of God. We're not saying I love blank more than I love God. No, we're saying I love blank instead of God. And that's because our love is tied to life action. See, it's easy to tell God that we love him when the sun is shining and there's no conflict in my life and my family as well and there's a bit of extra funds in the bank account. But what about when we're squeezed a bit? As I stood there in my kitchen just watching the rain, I found myself under heavy conviction. I found myself praying, Lord, so when I'm prideful, when I'm arrogant, when I'm selfish, when I try to control my life instead of relinquishing that control to you, I'm saying I don't love you. When I'm materialistic, I'm saying I don't love you. I love stuff. That's a difficult reality for us today. And I don't say that in this moment to lay down a guilt trip. I didn't even say this. Jesus said this. But follower of Jesus, consider that for a moment. When we choose to use our resources in a way that's not reflective of who God is, when we choose to lust or think about others or stuff and covet what is not ours, we are saying, God, I don't love you. I love me. I love pleasure. I love stuff. Not you. What we see from this today is the reoccurring truth that true biblical love is more than feelings. Do we feel? Yes. Did God give us feelings as a part of this human experience? Yes. 
but we also are to shepherd our hearts. And here's what I mean by that. Society says, just follow your heart and you'll be good. You'll end up making the right choices in life. But that's not what scripture tells us. It tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17. Genesis 6 describes the state of of things just before the flood. And it says in verse 5, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The Apostle Paul, he put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath, as the others were also. No, following our heart does not lead us to always doing the right thing. Instead of following your heart, you and I need to shepherd our heart. And and here's why. Obedience to God, as each of us knows, isn't always fun. It's not always convenient or pleasant in the short term. But in the long term, the joy and satisfaction of God is worth it. We choose to love God or something or someone else. And we demonstrate this through our actions. As we think about this passage, we can stop with that first verse and and think that this statement by Jesus lacks compassion or any understanding or any fairness. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And and it will be easy for us today to to see that command and to think, man, that's just unreasonable. Or, Or to misrepresent it and to think it's harsh and unfair. And I love what Paul Tripp said about this. He said, we all want to rule our worlds. Each of us has times when we see authority as something that ends freedom rather than gives it. Each of us wants God to sign the bottom of our personal wish list. And if he does, we celebrate his goodness. But if he doesn't, we begin to wonder if it's worth following him at all. But lest we think this, is, this to be wrong or unfair, we're going to see that there's so much grace in this. And as we're going to see, the key to freedom and satisfaction is actually found in obedience. And that's because within this expectation of obedience, we are not expected to gut it out alone in our own strength, independent of any assistance. We see several ways that God enables us to be successful in this task. Let's have a look at what I mean by looking at our passage. First in verse 15, Jesus says, if we love him, we will keep his commands. He repeats that again in verse 21, and in 23, he says that we must keep his word. What is this referring to? Well, he's talking about not just his specific individual teachings, but this entire book of Scripture. The Bible is the written revelation of the living word, Jesus, who is the eternal word of God. The Bible is the written revelation of God, as Jesus is In the flesh was the physical word of God made manifest for us here on the earth. And throughout the New Testament, the scriptures and the gospel message contained within them are referred to as the words of life. In them is life. The Apostle Paul describes the scriptures as he was writing his second letter to Timothy. And he says this, 
All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God has given us his word as a means of knowing him, his ways and his desires for how we should live out this life. God has given us his word. Second, he hasn't left us alone because he's given us the Holy Spirit. Let's look at how Jesus refers to the Spirit in this passage. Look at verses 15 and 17 and 26 with me. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 26 says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in a couple of different ways here. And first, Jesus calls the Spirit the Counselor. Now think about what a Counselor is for just a moment. Throughout history, Counselors have been people who fill the role of confidential advisor. In the context of leaders utilizing a counselor, their confidential advisors were always available to them. They were trustworthy. So there's no fear in confiding in them or utilizing them as a sounding board. But the thing about a counselor is that they wait until they are called upon to give counsel. They are always at the disposal of the leader, but they wait for the leader to ask for their input. Counselor is waiting on you to rely on him and to trust in him. God, in his providence, has chosen to give us the resource of his spirit as a trusted advisor. But you and I must be willing to actually rely upon his counsel and his advice. Look back to verse 17, and you'll see that Jesus says that he is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit only speaks truth because he is true. Everything he says is true. And we're not talking about a subjective, what's true for me could be untrue for you kind of truth. No, because the Holy Spirit is an equal member of the Godhead, a part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Therefore, he's able to give counsel and able to speak in a way that is absolutely true. He's leading, is from a place of all-knowing wisdom. And lest I paint the picture of the Spirit being really passive in this whole process, let's be clear today. You and I cannot be obedient to love God faithfully on our own. And it's not just that we have the option of not doing it on our own. No, you cannot do this on your own. It's through His equipping and His empowering that we even have the ability to follow through in this command to love Jesus. And while we're on the subject of the Holy Spirit, I just want to take a few seconds to bring a bit of correction to how I often hear followers of Jesus refer to the Spirit of God. So often, Christians use language to describe the Holy Spirit of God that paints Him as an impersonal force or as a thing. The word it should never be used to refer to the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus, in verse 17, says that He is the Spirit of truth. Jesus calls the Spirit another counselor, meaning another like Jesus. He is the Spirit of truth. Two chapters over, Jesus is wrapping up this teaching time with his disciples, and he says in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
The Holy Spirit of God is not an impersonal force like you see in something like Star Wars. Follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is a personal, knowable member of the Trinity who loves you and equips you and empowers you to live in the fullness of life that Christ has purchased on your behalf. That's important today. And here's the key to why this is important. You will not succeed in living a life of loving obedience to Jesus without relying on the Spirit of God. How do you turn to God in obedience in those moments of temptation and doubt? Instead of towards something else or someone else, you rely on the power of the Spirit within you. I guarantee you, in in moments of temptation, He's speaking, He's nudging, He's reminding you of the truth, He's providing a way of escape, He's telling you to run away from the situation you're in, or reminding you to keep your mouth shut instead of speaking hurtful and unloving words. He's prompting you to refrain from taking vengeance upon your social media adversaries. Listen to him. That's why the Father and the Son have sent him to live within us. Okay, we've said that God has given us his word and he's given us the spirit. But he's also enabled us to live out this, this, expectation, of, this expectation of obedience by giving us a future hope. Brothers and sisters, this struggle toward obedience has an expiration date upon it. It will not be an eternal struggle. There's coming a day when the war with our flesh will be over and we will finally see the completion and the perfection of the work that Christ purchased for us. We have to take hold of that and trust that this is true, even though we can't fully grasp what that reality will look like. Even though we can't necessarily see the whole picture at this moment. It's kind of like gravity. Gravity is a force. You can't see it. You can't look around and see something physically being pulled to the ground, an object uh, that you drop. The way scientists learned about it and, and have studied it is through measuring how it attracts any object, pulling it toward the center of the earth and through external means. But my point is, you know gravity's there even though you can't see it with your eyes. You feel the effects of it every single second of every day. It's always present, holding us to the earth. And that's a lot like what we're talking about today as we think about obedient love. The future we have ahead of us, we can't see what it will be like. We can't see the Spirit in us. We've never literally seen Jesus. We have no literal picture of what our future will be like. But when Christ returns... We will see it with our own eyes. We will understand the reality of what's been described for us in God's word from the beginning. And that once invisible reality will be on full display and we'll be blinded by the radiance of its glory. And here's what I mean. Look at verse 23 of our passage. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word for my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That phrase, we will come to him and make our home with him, that's exactly what we're talking about. In one sense, we're already seeing the effects of what this will be like through the Spirit's abiding, indwelling with us. But there's coming a day when we'll experience the presence of God face-to-face, permanently. Today, we can see the powerful effects of the Spirit leading us, His guiding us, His comforting us, But Jesus says here that there will be a day in the future 
where we will know this on a deeper, permanent level. That's a glorious truth. And when you take that truth of this glorious future hope ahead of us and you understand it alongside the gift of God's word and his spirit within us right now, you you can't help but be deeply encouraged that even though this expectation of obedience is there, God's desire is not for you and me to prove our love through our discipline and how long we can maintain that white-knuckle grasp on life of obedience through just gritting it out. Take courage today, follower of Jesus. God has given you and me incredible resources to live a life of obedience. This morning, let's consider one other facet of this. Yes, we are expected to demonstrate loving obedience to God. But the crazy thing about this is is that John 14 passage actually promises several things when we love God through our obedience. First, we see that love is given to us. Love is. We've already seen in previous weeks of our study and our series how God pours out his love upon us. But specifically in this passage, we see this love poured out on us through us being given fellowship with God. You see, Jesus spelled this out for us in verses 21 and 23. 21 says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. John 14, 21. And the one who loves God through obedience will be loved by God the Father and the Son. Again, this isn't just talking about a feeling. If the bar for us is life action, then the same definition applies to the love that God will demonstrate to us. We see so much of this in, in our being made right with God through the work of Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there with the cross and the, and the resurrection. At the end of verse 21, Jesus says, I will love him and reveal myself to him. That's an ongoing process. And the more we lean into this lifestyle of obedience, the more Jesus reveals himself to us in the context of relationship. He's given us fellowship. We're also given his presence with us. We've talked extensively about this already, but you see this in the promise of verses 16 and 18 and 20 and verse 23. Verse 23 discusses what we just walked through about God making his home with us permanently. And the reason I point that out is that this is a promise of permanence. This isn't a temporary thing to us to to help us get through this life, but it's a promise of a permanent eternal reality. From now on, we will be with God and he will be with us. He gives us presence. In this passage, we see that when we love God through our obedience to him, we're also given understanding or revelation. We, we just saw in verse 21 how Jesus says he will reveal himself to us. But also look at verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. I point all of this out today because the more that we know and understand, the more we behold the majesty of God. Right now in this life, the more we glimpse his majesty and and behold his glory in our lives, the more that joy and satisfaction are cultivated in our hearts. When we understand to a deeper degree more and more just how grand this God is, then to put that into perspective of, of who we are and how unworthy we are to have fellowship with him, the more joy we have in God and the more satisfaction we have in him, 
This then causes us to have a deeper and ever-growing desire to delight more and more in him, which then drives us to a deeper level of obedience. Do you see the cycle of that this morning? I love what Tozer said about this in his book, The Pursuit of God. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. We have the opportunity to live a life that is more than just nominal. We can live a life that is full of joy. We choose to love God or something or someone else. We demonstrate this through our actions. And in our choosing to love God, we are choosing an ever-growing measure of joy and satisfaction. You want to have a deeper sense of joy in your life? Lean into a life of obedience. Not from a heart that just wants to go through the motions and to tick the boxes, but from a heart that delights in God. As you do that, obedience becomes even more satisfying because knowing God becomes even more satisfying. We're promised understanding. I close this morning with a couple of questions. Are you choosing to love God or something or someone else? Do your actions back up that answer? Christian, rely on the resources you've been given today. Scripture, the spirit within you, the hope of a gloriously satisfying future ahead of you. Maybe you're hearing all this today and you've never put faith in God. You've never trusted in Jesus as the way to God and had a relationship with him. And as you've heard me say today, there is joy and peace and love and satisfaction in knowing Jesus and living a life that continually discovers more and more how good and great he is. If you'd like to talk to someone about that today or receive prayer about this, I invite you to click on that button that's going to be in the, over in the live chat feed that says raise hand and one of our chat hosts will gladly connect with you or to email us. If you need prayer today, we still have people ready and waiting who would count it a privilege to pray with you and for you. Just hit that live prayer button below this, this window. As we respond to all we've heard today, let's not pass this truth by. Let's stop and consider what the actions of our lives say about our love for God. Do you love him? We still have a long way to go to get through 2020 and all of, it, it, all of its craziness. And who knows, besides the Lord, what will come next. But either way, obedient love is what is expected of us. No pandemic, no amount of suffering, no relationship issues, work problems, or political unrest changes that. Let's face it. Obedience is rarely convenient or comfortable, even in hardship, especially in hardship. We choose to love God or something or someone else. We demonstrate this through our actions. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray, thanking you first of all that you've given us all these resources to accomplish this command and obedience that you've called us to. Help us to be diligent to be in your word, to hide it in our hearts. Spirit, we ask that you would help us to be attentive to your voice. Help us to know your voice and to obey your leadership. Help us to rely on you. Help us, Father, to look forward to that future hope that you've laid out ahead of us. And Lord, may we be satisfied in you and knowing you. May we truly be satisfied and not prone to, be, to looking for satisfaction in things that just don't deliver the ways of this world. 
Let us lean into you today. You are so good to us. We love you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.